Judy and I uh, love being here. Write this down. A person without a vision for their future will always return to their past. A, vi- a person without a vision for their future will always return to their past, which is why part of the role of a pastor is always to create a vision, an image of, look, here's where you can go. And in fact, that's why we talk about legacy at Lion's Roar, because it's really the role of people. I never, d- Dude, I never expected to be my age. It's like, it's weird. Because I'm like one of those Never Neverland guys. I just have never grown up. Like, if I still had good balance, I'd be on a skateboard. Hello, somebody. So, so the fact is, is that, um, you know, following Christ and doing what we do and the legacy and passing on legacy, you know, the role of a father isn't to raise a good son. The role of a father is to raise another good father. Role of a mother is to raise another good mother. Our role in passing on to the next generation is not just trying to teach them rules and, and regulations and, you know, do this and don't do that. It's basically this, is to reach into the heart of a young man or woman and pull out their future and show it to them. This is who you are. This is what you can be. This is why God put you on the face of the earth. So when I was a kid, I thought Jesus had wings. <laughs> Healing in his wings. I'm like, okay, cool. So he's got wings. We don't get to see it. You know those actual photos of Jesus? This is why we do ministry to men. Because you know those actual photos of Jesus? You know what I'm talking about, Greg? You know the, what I call the Swedish Jesus? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's that blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy in a bathrobe. You know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Middle Eastern guy? You know, I call him the Swedish Jesus. It's like, nice Jesus, right? It's like, you know, nice, got a little lamb. Got the little lamb. Nice Jesus, nice Jesus. You know, and uh, traveling with his posse, you know, drinking herbal tea, lighting aromatherapy candles, you know. Nice Jesus, you know? nice Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this guy was malo, man. He was bad, right? Jesus, he, he, this guy went into places and just stirred it up. Malo, it's, uh, it's Espanol. Anybody know Espanol? Anybody? Dude, you're going to have, if you don't know it, you're going to have to learn it because that's what they speak in heaven. It's todo Espanol. So I don't know what that means, but it's cool. So the fact is, is that uh, healing in his wings, uh, what, it, what it is, watch this. this is, when I learned this, it just, man, I just, uh, it's really touched me so deeply. There, a priest would always, uh, when he went into the holy place, he'd wear a shawl, prayer shawl. You ever seen that? Long shawl, and it had certain things on it, and each of these things. Smart people like Pastor David, they know all the stuff. It's had things on the end. Yeah, they all represented the covenant and all that. So they wore that, and, and, and it was his prayer shawl. And when he would open his arms in a, in, a, in a symbol of blessing and acceptance and love and intimacy and invitation to come, when he would do this, that, that prayer shawl would fan out 
and they would call it the wings. Prayer shawl. The wings. The healing in his wings was his arms extended. Healing. Love. Affection. It's like, come on. Arms open. There's nothing. I don't know how many of us are grandparents here in this place. I was talking with Fabian about it, and it just, it just, it's a whole new world. It's this new thing. And there's something so amazing. My grandson, who scored two goals today, come on, somebody. It's awesome. And uh, in football, not soccer, right? And uh, real football. And, uh, and when he comes running into our house, he comes running in going, Papa! arms like this and so when it talks about there's healing in his wings it really speaks of a God who says hey come here come on my child I love you my pastor Phil Pringle said one time he said how old do you think God is you know how old do you think I mean he said, what if, what if God the Father, what if he's a father? What if he's actually the age that Jesus was when he left here? What if he actually, what if our image is not this older guy? You know, I mean, God, like we think of God, God, you know, the <laughs> old guy with a staff going, nope, did that wrong. <laughs> what, if, what if he's a young dad? What if he's 35, 40 years old? What if he's a young dad? Strong, grabbing his kids, us. Yeah, come on, let's wrestle. What if that's really when he says, I'm your father, right? Because he created everything with a word. So words are, words are creative. Words have great power. In fact, you know, as we're talking about this, as we're talking about who God is, we're thinking of this image and the most powerful thing you can do in a person's life is create an image. The second most powerful thing is tear it down. So God creates an image when Jesus prays and he says this. He says, pray this way, our, what, what is it? Our, Padre Nuestro. Just trying to help them. Our Father, and he creates an image of who God is for us. Sometimes we, we fly right by that and we think of Father, Father God, the old guy with the staff. <laughs> what, if he's, what if he's actually this young father? What if he's just like, come on, let's do this. And he created everything with a word and spoke it. Words have creative power. You're... you're pastor teaches, Pastor David teaches this a lot. But when he created mankind, it's, it's interesting what happened. So he created everything with a word, right? And then he came to that day where he's going to create man. And by the way, you're awesome on stage. You're incredible. Isn't she amazing? Just give her a hand. She's, she just has a thing. Judy and I turned to each other as you were doing, hey, can I pray? You know, and you're up here like doing, you got this attractional spirit about you and you know I just want to hang out with you just like whatever you do I just want to be there so when God created mankind he did something really fascinating he didn't speak a word and bam dust came together what did he do 
You know the story? I'm not trying to, I don't do trick questions. He formed us with his hand. Wrong. He formed us with his hand, right? Watch this. So, so God the Father, this Father, took the earth that he had created and he knelt down. And with his hands, he created us with his hands. So we were made to be close to God. We were created to be intimate with him. And then he reached down and went and breathed life into us. That's why the core of a person is always formed in the heart of their, in the breath of their father. The core of a man or a woman is formed in the breath of their father. And when, when a father, in fact, it's now medically proven, 1995, University of Pennsylvania, did a study on biological fathers holding children. And children who are held by their biological fathers or by their fathers, men who become their fathers and take on that responsibility of a father, are actually healthier in life long term than those who aren't held. In other words, when, when a little boy or a little girl is held by their father and, and feels that, you know, strength of masculinity, that protection of a father's arms, that affirmation of a father, when, it, when, when uh, a little child feels the stubble of the beard and smells the fragrance of masculinity, can I get an amen on from the guys? Fragrance of masculinity, love that. You know, when a child senses that and the breath of their father held close, there's something that adjusts in us. In fact, uh, what's been proven is a, a little girl held in her, by her father in a, in a loving way as she's growing up actually is more protected sexually and comes into her sexuality later in life than a, than a little girl who's not. It's so fatherlessness, fatherlessness is one of the greatest issues we face, if not the greatest issue in the world today. In every single culture, fatherlessness, the immaturity of men, men who aren't willing to accept responsibility, men who don't show up. That's why Lion's Roar is about legacy. It's about, it's about raising up a group of men around the world. What would it be like if we raised up over the next 20 years, 100 million men around the world who said, I'm willing to be a father. I'm willing to be strong. I don't care if married or single, just willing to accept responsibility for my neighborhood, for my family, for what I do, to be a stand-up guy, to be a stalwart man. What would it look like? It would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change everything. Crisis comes to all of our lives, every single one of us. And if any place knows crisis, it's, it's uh, we, we drove through Port Aransas today and looked at things, and, and uh, of course, Dr. Stringer there in Houston and what's happened, and friends of ours, our friend uh, Jim and Inez, who flew their family out of uh, the island of Puerto Rico in the middle of everything, chartered a plane, and crisis. I mean, think about this. Crisis comes to every life, doesn't it? Does crisis come to every life? I want to talk about, a little bit about that tonight. In that when crisis hits, default happens. In other words, what we are inside, how we're thinking, 
when pressure comes, boom, we just act out of that moment of crisis. So what we've put into our lives is what comes out at the moment of crisis. Fear or faith, negativity or positive. And if, we, if we're grounded in, he's my father, then in the midst of crisis, we can understand that my definition is not based on my circumstances. In fact, my circumstances don't dictate God's ability to respond to my life. Your circumstances don't dictate God's response. Because God's God. So when crisis hits, Judy and I had a, had a crisis uh, in our lives, and, and I'm going to go to Psalm 46 in just a little bit and read some of that. And uh, I want to say again how, how thrilled I am to, uh, to be here, Judy and I, and to be with Doug Stringer and, and uh, praying for Lisa while she's there in Puerto Rico. And, and they just, uh, Doug, if I, you share some of this tomorrow, they just went into an area that first time anybody could get in there. So it's been six weeks, right? And so doing a great work there, and to be with Rock City Church and all your uh, amazing team here, it's absolutely been a pleasure for us over the last couple of days. You guys are awesome. Just turn to somebody and just say, you're awesome. Just, you're awesome. But the fatherhood of God, the fatherhood of God, that's where our reliance is. Our reliance is on the fatherhood of God. In the midst of crisis, uh, that's it. He's, he's our place. In fact, God, there's one promise. Anybody ever read the Word of God and you think, can I just take this part out? Anybody, you know, like James, like, well, we're like Jesus, talking to his disciples, and he's leaving. He's going to, he's, he's taking off, and he goes, all right, guys, here's the deal. Some of you are going to be, uh, like, cut in half. Some of you guys are going to be uh, stoned to death. Uh, some of you guys, you know, crucified. Some of you guys, you guys are going to be killed. It's going to be trouble. It's going to be trial. But don't worry. I'll be there with you. And the guy goes, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> but you're leaving. Oh, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'll be there. Wait, wait a minute. I mean, imagine that, right? Who's coming? Well, it's my spirit. Well, how do we know what he looks like? Don't worry. You'll know it when you see him. <laughs> wait a minute. You're leaving. We're staying. Yeah, yeah. It's going to work out fine. <laughs> One promise that Jesus, that we get from his, from his half-brother James is there will be trials. There will be crisis. This is a broken world. How many of you know that Christian bumper sticker, stuff happens? <laughs> so there will be crisis. Stuff will happen. <laughs> Things happen. And, and if, we, if we have a worldview that's of this world, then we're going to go, panic. We're going to panic. And, but if we have a worldview that comes from the Word of God, that's why this Word's so important, because when it becomes, you know, Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your Word I have hidden in my heart that I would not sin. Your greatest protection in sin isn't necessarily doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it's not doing the right thing. And... And so it says, your word protects me. Your word guides me. Your word leads me. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The footsteps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And then it says, and when he falls, he will not be utterly cast aside, for the Lord will raise him up with a strong right arm. Grab a little bit of Isaiah, put it in there. But that's what it says. 
And it doesn't say if you fail. It says when you do. It doesn't say if you fail. It says when you do. Right? Crisis happens to everybody. In fact, write this down. Crisis is normal. Crisis is normal. It's normal. And, but if our, if our worldview, if our def- definitions within us are based on the Word of God, then things happen. For instance, uh, the word peace. If we define it based on what the world says, the world defines peace as the absence of conflict or the absence of crisis. But the Word of God defines peace not as the absence of crisis or the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the middle of the conflict or in the middle of the crisis. Can I get an amen? Amen. God our Father. Amen. God our Father. Had a crisis. Judy and I, I'll I'll mention Psalm 46 in a minute. Judy and I, um, (laughs) we've had a few crises in our life. And uh, one of them, uh, I was in Houston. And it was February 1984. And it was a Sunday night, and we had just finished a meeting, and we were going to fly home. There's a friend of mine named Mike Evans. He was a statesman to Israel, and another guy named Cy Rickman, and then the, the pilot, Bill, and myself. And there's a little Cessna 174 or something like that, a little four-seater, and we had equipment in it, and got all packed in, and, and uh, took off from Houston, and we're about halfway home. And the engine in that thing is, is a little horizontally opposed uh, six-cylinder engine, and which means there's cylinders, six cylinders, three on each side, you know, opposite each other, okay? And, and, so, uh, and so the middle cylinder on this right side came off. We're at roughly 9,000, 10,000 feet. There's no moon. It's dark. How many of you know dark, and then there's dark, dark? Right? Dark, dark. We're like, we're, we're in the middle of, we're over somewhere, nowhere. We're over somewhere. From Houston to Dallas, that, you know. And, uh, and so when that happened, the plane starts shaking like this. <laughs> Needless to say, it was a little concerned. And the two guys in the back, Mike and, and Cy, were like, yo! You know, like, yo! And Bill said, hey, no problem, no problem. We're, we're, you know, and there's fumes coming back and fuel and, and uh, you know, things like this. And, and then the panel lights go out. He goes, here, hold that flashlight. So I'm holding this flashlight. So I'm like this with this flashlight, holding this flashlight on the dash. So I'm looking at the altimeter, and I've flown enough to know that when it's going down, it goes this way. It goes up, it goes the other way. It's like the little click, click. And, uh, and Bill says to us, he goes, hey, don't worry. We're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. And then he reaches down and gets the radio and goes, mayday, mayday. <laughs> mayday, mayday. And I'm going, mayday? I know what that is. I've seen it in movies. Mayday, mayday. <laughs> it's 2 o'clock, and I got the flashlight on there, and this thing, we are, and so they vector us. We've, we've flipped over to uh, Fort Worth Control. 
out of Houston, and they vector us to Waco. And we're 18 miles away from Waco, and we're 8,600 feet. Because I got the flash on there. All right, all right, we're, we're going to be good. We're going to be good. You know? And the guy, we can hear what they're saying to him. He's got the headsets on, and somehow he's got the speaker on, too. We can hear the whole thing. And he's thinking, all right, these guys are chilled because I got it. Don't worry about it. Made it, you know. And, and then the, the, the tower in Fort Worth goes, all right, you guys, uh, you know, Vector 90, 20, uh, whatever, you know, wake up. All right. And then the guy goes, all right, good luck. <laughs> good luck. With <laughs> the flashlight and the thing's going like this. And um, we're 18 miles out at six miles out with this thing rocking like this. And I got the flashlight. And I can see the pilot. He's just, we're good. And uh, in the back seat, Mike and Cy are like Shundahine, you know, like, you know, speaking in tongues, Shundahine. Kawasaki, who's stolen my Honda? You know, it's like, boom, 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 boom. And, uh, like, they're, what, you guys, so, like, they're going for it. And, I, and I'm watching this thing. Well, watch this. We're six miles out, six miles from Waco, and, we, and I'm watching this thing, and I'm looking at it. We hit 1,600 feet, 1,600 feet. Now, any math people here? 8,600 to 1,600 in 12 miles means that six miles further, and you're negative. If you're negative two, you're already in trouble. Can I get an amen? You know, it's, you're negative like 1,800 feet or something. You're halfway to China. So, so we're looking at this, and, and now Bill turns. He says, we need to pray. And we join hands, and we prayed. And, and as I held that flashlight on that altimeter, it stopped. And for the next six miles, didn't move off of 1,600 feet. And then we could see Waco and the, and the uh, you know, fire trucks are out there and all that stuff, you know, it's like, and, and the lights and all that stuff. And, and then we're able to sort of get it down at it. 100 feet from the tarmac, the stick froze and the engine came apart and we went boom on there. And then we had gotten ready because we didn't know if it was catch on fire. So, you know, you jump out the sides, the guys come with their stuff and presence of God in the middle of crisis, you know, there's presence of God in the middle of crisis, and the thing is, I've seen it, you've seen it, you've seen crisis, that you thought, how are we going to get out of this, right, but God, but God was there, in the middle of the crisis, there he is, so crisis doesn't define us, what defines us is the presence of God. When I, was, when I was young, I want you to write this word down. Just write down the word plan and write down the word purpose. And then above the word plan, I want you to write transaction. And, uh, and above the word purpose, write incarnation. doesn't matter how you spell it. Just That's for the guys. We worked really hard on them this morning. 
You have a great group of guys. I was, I was amazed at how many men were here this morning, how uh, rapt they were, how into it uh, your men are. And I believe you're raising up a new generation of men. Yeah. In fact, here's what I think. I think that pretty soon you're going to get a reputation. You're going to get a reputation that, that people are going to begin to say, hey, if you want your daughter to find a great guy, send them to Rock City. How would that sound? Would that be awesome? Where men are protectors, not predators? Come on, somebody. Amen? So men who are stalwart men, faithful, keep their word, men of their promise. You know, men who stand up. Men who treat women with honor and respect. Come on, somebody. We're raising up those kinds of men here. We're going to change the world. Fatherlessness. Fatherlessness is the leading indicator of poverty in any part of the world. Did you know that? Leading indicator of poverty. So the issue, there are 2 million children in America who, uh, and it's basically called the thinning of the cortex. It was a study by Harvard uh, medical school. And the thinning of the cortex has to do with, with how thick the, the out, outward sphere of your brain is, the cortex. In that part of your brain is where your current memory is held. In other words, it's, it's what uh, you're remembering right now for today. And what you need to know to get through your day today. It's not memory from yesterday or past. It's, it's like current thought life, memory, and how thick that cortex is, is based on, now check this out, is based on nutrition. Now, in many parts of the world, it's said simply this way, hungry children can't learn. We've got 2 million children in America right now, 2 million at least have been identified, who have such a thin cortex, the cortex of their brain has thinned to such a point that they literally cannot remember the assignment that they got 20 minutes ago. It's not ADD. It's none of that. It's, a thinning, it's called the thinning of the cortex. It's a huge issue. And it relates to uh, basically functional homelessness. You know, a child that lives two months with their uncle and two months with their grandmother and two months with somebody else. And two, it's called functional homelessness. It's 28% of our children in, in Dallas. Functionally homeless. They really don't have their... Place. And if you will, my friends, it all comes back to fathers. Men who'll stick around. Men who'll stay. Men who'll keep their word. So crisis happens to every single one of our lives. And what it, our default, how we react to it is based on what's in us. When I was young, I was told this. And this was the transaction. The transaction that I had. When I was young, I was told, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Anybody ever heard this? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So basically, my deal was, that's cool. God loves me. I accept Christ. And then he slides this plan on top of me. So I don't have to make any choices. They're all done. Okay? Watch this. So what we've done in the Western church over the last 500 years is create a transactional Christianity. If I do this, God does this. Okay? And, and if I do this, he'll do this. 
And then if I don't do this, then he won't. Because now he's ticked. Dude, you didn't do the thing. Yeah, no, I was messed up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I can't. No grace today because you didn't do the thing. Yeah, but I thought you were all grace. Yeah, but you didn't do the thing. <laughs> right? That's transactional. Transactional. And what happens with that and what happened for me and, and my friends as pastor's kids is, is you ever heard of something called uh, the unpardonable sin? Anybody ever heard of that? Huh? Anybody ever heard of that? You heard of the unpardonable sin? So by the time we were in 7th and 8th grade, my friends and I who were, who were preacher's kids and, and uh, things like that, uh, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California on the coast. So we were out near the ocean today, and I had to walk out and just grab some sand. Feel it, you know. Smell it. Get my little hit. And uh, like a legal hit, you know. And, and so what I figured by the time I was in 7th and 8th grade, I figured I had committed. I didn't know what the unpardonable sin was, and nobody could explain it, Doug. Like, don't do the unpardonable sin. Bam, cut off from God. Dude, what is it? You'll know. You'll know when you do it. You'll know. Like by the time I'm in eighth grade, I'm like, dude, I think I did it. I think I, I, think I did it. Oh, God. You know, I'd go to youth camp. I would do, oh, I consecrate my life to God. I think I did it for that pardonable sin. Really, what'd you do? I don't even know. I stole my friend's skateboard. I don't know. You know. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I took a Dr. Pepper from the 7-Eleven. Come on, you guys looking at me like you never did anything. Yeah, what a bad guy, man. Took a DP from the 7-Eleven. And so what happens is we have a tendency then to begin to look at, well, if God's got a plan for my life and I can't figure it out, then heck with it right? God's got a plan for my life, and if I can't find it, now I'm frustrated. So what we did is we frustrated a generation of young men and women who couldn't find the plan. I know it's there somewhere. When in truth, why Christ came was in order for us to receive His presence, His Spirit, who He is, imputed into human flesh, the incarnation of Christ, so that now the Word of God says in Isaiah, it says in Isaiah 42, it says, I will fulfill my plan. In other words, He has a plan for the redemption of mankind, and so I'm here with a purpose to be a part of His plan. So my life has purpose. We get all freaked out. We get so religious because of whether it's the plan thing. You know, oh, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to have, you know, Lord, I don't know if my car should be blue or white. <laughs> oh, God. You know, we're like torn up. Now, I'm serious. There's people that, there's people who call pastors that say, hey, I, we don't know. What are you doing? Trying to buy a couch. Six foot, eight foot. We don't know what God's will is for our life. We get the eight foot one, man. Well, which one's leather? Six foot? Okay, get that one. 
I don't know, good. The Bible says that, that God finds pleasure in things, and, and he desires that for us. We find his presence. There's pleasure in his presence, the Bible says. Pleasure in his presence. Right now, pleasure. You feel that? Do you sense that? Do you sense the lovingness of a father God who says, you're awesome. I love you. I created you with a, what? With a purpose. Purpose. And I appreciate Rick Warren. I love the guy, but I don't, and who was it? Uh, uh, the guy from uh, England. Um uh, Evangelist John, uh, he said, he said, I want to be purpose-driven. I want to be purpose-led. I thought that was good. So the fact is, is that in the midst of a crisis, he's there. When God created the heavens and the earth, it says the earth was without form and void, and it says there was what on the earth? What was there? Chaos. Anybody ever had chaos in your life? And chaos. Watch this. And it says there was darkness and chaos on the face of the earth. And it says the Spirit of God was somewhere else in the universe. Is that right? Huh? It says the Spirit of God was somewhere else making a new world. What does it say? He was what? Where was he? Right there. In the midst of your chaos... He was right there, and one word from God, boom, let there be light, the greatest declaration of war that's ever happened. Bam, let there be light, and there was light, exponentially created light. The universe is growing at such an exponential rate that every time they measure it, they go, whoop, whoop, it's bigger. Can't measure it. It's immeasurable. He said, let there be light, and he didn't say, stop. Lights is flying everywhere exponentially. Let there be light. And he was hovering. And so at your darkest moment, you might be as close to the presence of God as you'll ever be in any other time of your life. Your pastors know that. They know that. Darkest point. Psalm 46. Go to Psalm 46. And we'll go there. Here's the thing. Judy and I were dealing with a, uh, well, man, it was a transition. Uh, We were leaving one job, going to another. Weren't sure how everything was going to work. Crisis. And so um, here's the thing. When when, uh, Mark, the fourth chapter, the disciples are in a boat. They're on a lake. And a storm comes up. Right? Storm. Crisis. They're like, man, we're going to die. Who put them in the boat? Jesus did. Moses is at the Red Sea, right? He's at the Red Sea. Army behind him, mountains on both sides, and a million angry Jewish people. (laughs) You should have. Think about it. Moses. Who told him to go there? God did. Right? God led him. In other words, crisis does not, does not define us as out of the will of God. Because, the, see, see, what happens is we, we too often are looking for perfection when what God really gave us was a purpose. My son Brandon has a great message about that. He said when God created, created the garden, he didn't just say, hey, it's perfect, 
he, he didn't say that. He said, it's very good. He didn't say it was perfect. He said, it's good. In fact, it's not only good, it's very good. So crisis, being, having a crisis does not signify that you're out of the will of God. And in fact, quite often, what it really means is you're so perfectly in the will of God, going to, doing exactly and going where you need to go and doing all the right stuff that the enemy is just trying to kick your, kick you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because the enemy is always going to try to steal your dreams, distract you, neutralize you. And so if, if there's one thing out of all this tonight that I want us to uh, embrace is God is our Father. And last night, Dr. Uh, Stringer, with, uh, and he calls you by your name. Amen. Amen. You know, he's the dad who knows your name. Dad who knows your name. Paul the Apostle said, he said, I love you like a father. He's writing to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, he says, you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. And he was relating to them how much I love you. I love you like a dad. I was a kid, you know. I mean, I mean, when you're a, a father and your and your children are out doing something, your daughter's doing gymnastics, and you're watching her out there, and you're going like, "She's awesome." Now, if you're an instructor, you're like, "Up, oh, missed that one. Didn't do that one right. Didn't do that right." But if you're a if you're a dad, you're like, "It's my kid, man. She's awesome. She's awesome, right? My kids." playing football, playing sports, doing stuff, writing math papers, whatever they did. It's like, dude, that kid's awesome, man. How many of you thought your kid was like some kind of genius? There's like a little something in there, right? It's like, you know, did you see what, did you see? There's no three-year-old in the world that could do that. It's, just, it's impossible, right? Like as a grandfather, we're looking at our little grandkids and we're going like, look at, look at what she just did. She separated the red and the blue. It's like nobody could do that. How did? And she did it spatially, like 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 these are all. And oh, look at they're the same number on each side. Stanford, here we come. A and M scholarship at A and M. Come on, somebody. All right. See, here's here's the key. Write this down. An instructor tells you what. He knows, but a father gives you who he is. See, if God were just our instructor, he'd give us all these rules and regulations and then tell us where we messed up, but he's not. He's our father. He's our father. So an instructor gives you what he knows, but a father gives you who he is. With a father, you, with an instructor, you get the rules and regulations, and with a father, you get the hugs. I think real dads hug, man. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what's, what's the most important thing to do for my children? I said, well, number one, love their mother, and then number two, hug them. They were looking for a whole list of stuff. Just hug them, man. God is our Father. So if there's one thing, you know, our self-talk is, is so pervasive. The things we tell ourselves... And it can come from such a negative place. If we don't have the Word... See, this is why you need the Word of God in your life. You know, Pastor David always encourages us, right, to read the Word, get in the Word, and we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I read 10 pages. I read 10 pages. 
But what it's really about is putting something in you that in a moment of pressure, see, pressure doesn't make a man. Pressure only reveals a man for who he really is. So when that moment comes, what comes out at that default is what you've put in. And so our self-talk, see, I'm talking maybe 150, 160 words a minute. You can read about 200 words a minute. But your self-talk is somewhere between 400 and 500 words a minute. It's screaming along. In fact, while I'm talking, you're listening and also talking to yourself about stuff you got to do tomorrow. Right? Self-talk. So the self-talk, if we're not careful, our self-talk takes on the talk of this world. And, and uh, I've been with, with uh, men in different sporting situations. A guy misses a shot or misses a putt or something. He goes, you know, and I'll hear him say, what an idiot. Or how stupid. Or, and, he's, and he's just putting stuff on himself. And he's putting negative self-talk on him. That when pressure comes, he's going to think, I can't do this. But the word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can get through this. I can make... You know, it's chaos, but he's right here. Judy and I were were facing a a difficult moment in our lives, and God gave us Psalm 46. And I know it's it's for everybody else, too. But he gave us this, Psalm 46. Listen to this. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. I mean, that's just good right there. Amen? So we will not fear. Everybody say, we will not fear. So we will not fear. When earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. And you're citizens of that city, according to Philippians. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos, and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders, and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress, our refuge. Amen. New Living Translation. God is our Father. Hebrews 13, 5, and he amplified. For God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. He is our, what? He's our father. God is our father. So let me give you a couple things. In the midst of crisis, define what's crisis and not crisis. I had a friend of mine used to call me every other day with a crisis. Because for him, everything was crisis. How many of you know that guy? Don't be that guy. Everything, why? Because he was living in an atmosphere of crisis. And I kept saying, man, put the word of God in you. So that everything isn't a crisis. You know, sometimes when you get a flat tire and there was a nail on the road, and you get a flat tire, sometimes a nail is just a nail. The enemy's trying to, you know, destroy us. This tire is going to cost $135. That means my kid will never go to college. 
do you realize? And it was like, Christ is going to do, what was it, a nail? Well, maybe it was just a nail. Sometimes a nail is just a nail. Do you understand? Does that make sense? In other words, in other words, supernormal natural. Supernormal natural. In other words, there are things that are normal because we're in a broken world and some people uh, leave the nails or on the road. Got a flat tire. What is it? What's a nail? God's trying to teach me something. Yeah, don't drive there. Come on, you guys. I'm serious. Because we, we, we put these little things on stuff like, like I, w- I, was, I, was, I was after the plan of God. I was in God's perfect will. Boom, I had a flat tire. Now, I'll never get back in his will. The plan's over. It's destroyed. Just sit here and smoke dope. Forget it. Come on. We all know people like that. Come on, you were that. <laughs> Can't find a plan. Heck with it. Sir, light a doobie. Here we go. 60s, 60s, sorry, 60s. So the fact is, here's the thing. Define what crisis is. Define what crisis is. Put a definition on what's What's really a crisis? What do we have here? Storm, wind, boom, that's crisis. Airplane, going to go negative 1,800 feet, crisis. Amen? Uh, that's why we need friends. We talked about it this morning with the men. We need friends. We need people who are there to help us define these things because we get inside of it and we're like, it's a crisis. And you need a friend to go, dude, it's just a nail. Look, it's in your tire. Here, let, hang on. <laughs> All right. You got a spare? Yeah. All right. Here, get, get the jackets. Like, <laughs> Funny stuff, man. Hey, men, listen, teach your, teach your children how to change a tire. My daughter, my daughter, uh, when she started dating Niles, and he's a great husband. They just celebrated 16 years together yesterday. <laughs> he got a flat tire in his car. They're dating. They're driving along. She's a few years older. And uh, he said, I got a flat tire. And he's just sitting there. She goes, well, come on. And he goes, well, it's flat. <laughs> Remember that? She's like, all right. All right, give me the keys. <laughs> all right, see the spare tire? Okay, here's how it works. Because I taught her how to, how to change a tire. Come on, somebody. Right? How to make a campfire. Come on. How to make fire with rocks. I don't know. That was... Don't go there. Define crisis. God is... Listen, so, so, the, so if we get into us, God is my father, then the crisis begins to look different, doesn't it? Begins to change the atmosphere of it. Okay, there's stuff that's happening. God is my Father. He knows this. Define your resources. Here's another thing. Write this down. Define your actual resources. What do we have? For most of us, our resources in a time of crisis are friends. Friends. That's why church life is so important. I told the men this morning that the Surgeon General of the United States said we have a great health crisis in the U.S. And the Surgeon General said, but the number one health crisis in America today is not cancer, obesity, or heart disease. The number one crisis is isolation. Isolation, number one crisis, health crisis. 64% of our children in high schools today have an anxiety disorder. 64%. That came out, that study came out about 10 days ago. Now, watch this. We need friends. 
That's why gathering together here isn't optional. Because somebody here needs you. Somebody here needs you. You're important. You're vital. It is so important for you to show up because somebody needs your shaking of the hand, your touch on the shoulder, hey, what's up? Or, or hey, you got a pickup? Awesome, I need to move. <laughs> Next Saturday. That's why most of us don't own pickups. But I bought one. And so when guys need, to, need, need it, I go, yeah, here, here's the keys. Move. I'll be in Germany. Here. Define a crisis. Define your resources. And don't panic. Don't panic. Panicking narrows your options. Quitting cements crisis. Write that down. Quitting cements crisis. In other words, quitting, if it's all moving and flexible and you quit, bam, the crisis is now rock solid. You're in the midst of it. You can't get out because you quit. Don't panic. The, the friend of mine that I told you about uh, today, told the guys about, uh, uh, the guy that's got the twins, two-year-old twins, he's my age. And uh, so my friend Dave, that means he's like a little bit older. And uh, so, so his first marriage, um, we're skiing. So the first fail was Dave and I decide we're going to, teach our wives how to snow ski. Don't do, that. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. So, because it's going to save us money, you know, and, and we go up, so we're trying to teach them how to ski. It's like, you know, it's like, I know. No, what I'm saying is, put. and so the thing is, you put your skis like a V, like a pie shape, in order to not go real fast down the mountain. And then you're supposed to go like this. And then, and Dave's wife, Debbie, she had finally just had it, and we had all gone down. She's still up at the top. At the bottom of this thing is about 1,000 people at a lodge. Have you ever seen this or been there? There's like a lodge, and everybody's got their skis out, and there's, and there's a deck, and everybody's sitting on a deck, having food, looking up the hill, and there's Deb. And she's like, I've had it, and she just puts her skis together like this, straight, straight. And it goes like this, and it starts coming down the hill. And I can see people over here going, whoa. <laughs> She's headed here. <laughs> and Dave, God bless the man, panicked. Don't panic. Dave panicked. So he goes running in these ski boots out there to catch her. And what he does is he puts his arm out like that to stop her. <laughs> and she's about that tall. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Do you know how bright blood looks on snow? And everybody on the deck is like, whoa, dude. And, you know, it's like, that was awesome. You know? <laughs> Guys, don't panic. Turn to somebody and say, don't panic. God can do what we can't do. And then just a couple other things. Write these down. Keep communicating. Communication always permits progress. When you stop communicating, you stop progress. And when you're communicating, keep it simple. So I tell you, keep it simple, state the issue, ask for help. Be honest. Say, hey, I need help. 
we got this thing. Here's what it is. Boom. Communicate, communicate, communicate. Friends, Nehemiah, when he's building the city, which is in this book, just a bartender, he says, he says, we worked side by side. We worked side by side. In other words, that's what we are as a church, side by side. We need to look at what's the goal. Happiness is not a goal. It's a, happiness is a byproduct of living a purpose-filled life. Yeah. Happiness isn't a goal. It's a byproduct. So what's the goal? What, where are we trying to get from, posit- from negative to positive, transition? Two other things, and then I want to finish with, with this. Give yourself some grace. Give others grace. Give yourself some grace. Sometimes people will bring something to you, and you're like, man, that was a stupid thing to do. Give the guy some grace. And here's the other thing. Give yourself some grace. Because sometimes we, stuff happens, and we do something, and we act, and something didn't work out right. Give yourself some grace. Amen? God gave us grace. Give ourselves some grace. Give others grace. And then the other thing is, is uh, learn. Learn from the crisis. Let me give you a lie. Here's, I'll give me, let me give you a big lie. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Here's what the Bible says. As followers of Christ in Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. According to his purpose, who are called, who have a purpose, his purpose, his plan. He causes everything. He doesn't say everything is good. He says he causes everything to work together for good. I mean, the failure of a business, you know, that's, that's not, didn't, everything happens for a reason. Identification theft, business goes to crash of a plane. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. No, some stuff just happens because it's a broken world. But God's there, and God's big in the middle of it, and he's our peace. And we lean on him because he's our father. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? This is verse 35 of Romans 8. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Death, verse 37, no. Despite all these things, despite all these things, everybody say all these things. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's his promise. It's right here. And everybody who's a follower of Christ, you get every single one of those promises. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can put Psalm 23 on your refrigerator, on your car, you can put it everywhere, and that promise is still not alive for you until it's been activated by becoming a follower of Christ and being connected with God through Jesus Christ. That's when it comes alive. Can anything separate me? So I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Nothing. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is our Father. Psalm 46. Here's the second part. And here's what it says in Psalm 46. Come see 
the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And verse 10, here's the one that just, uh, here's, here's one of my go-to verses. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, quit freaking out. Am I the only person that's ever freaked out? Stuff happens, I, I freak out. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. The God of Israel is our refuge. God's our Father. Never left us, never let us go. Listen, your, God has never put your destiny in the hands of the enemy. God's never put your destiny in the hands of the enemy. And when we discover that, when these things become alive for us, then rather than going back to our past, we now have a vision for a future. It's not this plan that if we, you know, we miss it by one degree. Oh, man, I'm outside God's will. You know, he has a purpose for your life. You know, get a red car. Be dangerous. Come on. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? In other words, I'm not saying don't pray over things and don't, don't do things that put you in a bind. Um, be wise, have wisdom, but enjoy and embrace life. You know, embrace this moment. He's our Father. He loves us. He hugs us. He created us with His hands. And right now, if you're here tonight and, and you've sensed, man, I, I've had these... Uh, crisis that's happened to me and it may be a transition of a job maybe transition of a relationship I love what Pastor David said sometime I feel like I've been here about five days this is last night and today it's been good but there's you know when the spirit stuff expands and it becomes larger than what it is in other words it goes beyond time does that make sense and he said at some point he said nothing's too small nothing's too small now think about a father his little child falls down, right, and skins their knee. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but to a dad, it's like, hey, come here, man. Let me wipe it off. Hey, get back up. Get back in the game, right? That's our father. There may be some people who are here who are walking through a crisis where it's like, you know, I really feel like I don't feel, I feel disconnected, like a crisis of faith. I feel this kind of disconnected. I, when I pray, it feels like it. Has anybody ever prayed and felt like it hit the ceiling and then, and then it hit the ground? Oh, God. So everybody just raise a hand up right now. Raise your hands up. Let's thank God for his presence.